Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. Today we are going to be discussing a little bit about Standard. Uh, we're also going to be mentioning the hashtag FridayMTG, which we did get a mention on DailyMTG.com on Friday, March 24th, which is really awesome. And then we're going to talk about a little bit of sad news and then we're going to dive into some commander. But before we begin, let's get some ads right out of the way. Calling all Dungeons & Dragons fans. If you like actual play podcasts, then I urge you to check out a new one. It's called You Meet in a Tavern, starring a halfling monk with a Napoleon complex, an honorable human paladin with an arsenal of horrible impressions, and an animal-loving half-elf druid whose bonds are covalent and mortgage-backed. We are four 20-somethings with dull jobs by day, letting our inner nerd kid shine through our first ever D&D 5th edition campaign together. Come listen to our quest on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at YMIA Tavern. That's you meet in a tavern because every good story starts in a bar. So your father's a nerd. Unfortunately, there's no player's guide to raising a family, but this podcast is meant to be a family's guide to nerdism. Join us, Alec and Zuby, as we go in depth as to what it's like to raising a family of nerdlings and the adventures and hardships of fatherhood. We dive deep into our favorite nerd topics and talk to you about how it's related to raising a family. You can find So Your Father's a Nerd on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Well, hey there, Zoe. Why the long face there, chum? I just want to order some magic cards, but the shipping was too expensive. Too expensive? Well, did you know if you go to LegitMTG.com, you can order any magic cards, and anything over $2 or more has free shipping. Wow, free shipping at LegitMTG.com. That's amazing. You heard that right, Zoe. Free shipping at LegitMTG.com with any order over $2 or more. Be sure to visit today and get the best deal on Magic Singles and Magic Sealed product available. So the hashtag FridayMTG was started, um, I think I want to say originally by Planeswalker Project on the MTG Amino app, which if you have not checked out that app, uh, go ahead and check it out. I don't know if it's on Android. I've only seen it on iOS. I mean, because I don't have an Android anymore. But um, yeah, definitely check it out. It's just like a social media app, like Twitter or Facebook type stuff where it's all about Magic the Gathering and it's really cool. Um, My problem with it is I don't catch up with it enough. Um, I'm really bad at social media, if you haven't noticed. I'm I'm pretty decent at Twitter because that's the only one I really like. And when it comes to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the hell else, I'm just really terrible because I just never remember to keep up with it. But the hashtag FridayMTG is mainly about wanting to showcase other smaller content creators in the Magic the Gathering community, whereas a lot of us feel that we just don't get the recognition, not that we exactly deserve, but maybe we just want. And <clears throat> a, a lot of this was just started because of that. And what the hashtag FridayMTG is, is um, myself and my buddy Laz from Kitchen Table Magic Forums, uh, we're basically just giving shout outs to a bunch of smaller content creators, giving them a little community spotlight. And just to basically say to the people, hey, you know, there's other people that exist, you know, go ahead and check them out. You know, it's YouTubers, podcasters, 
written articles, uh, magic websites, everything. And like I said, we're just starting this to get other people interested in other content creators because the goal for this is to make people aware and if they're aware of certain creators, you know, they can check them out. And if they end up liking them, boom, they could subscribe. They could, you know, like their work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what we're also trying to do for people, the I put a little shout out on my or not a shout out, but a little tweet out that if you want to be added to my list of Friday MTG content creators, basically I have an automated automated tweet set up on every Friday starting at 9 a.m. Eastern where I'll just start doing Friday MTG shoutouts every five minutes to my list. And basically that's just for, like I said, to get people aware and noticed. And I'm hoping, I'm trying to encourage everybody that I add to the list to do the same thing. You know, start doing their shoutouts to other people as well and just get more people out there spreading the word and all that. Um, like I said, I think we're, we have a decent amount of people uh, doing it. I ha I've added a ton of people to my list just in the past week or so, and it's starting to really take off. And we got our first mention on the mothership the other day, March 24th, the March 24th edition. And sorry, I don't know if I'm battling a cold right now or what, but yeah, we got a little mention and I just want to read what it said. And it says the Friday MTG hashtag is a hashtag used by a number of smaller magic content creators typically focused on casual magic to highlight their work and that of others. You'll primarily hear from Magic Wazubi and Kitchen Table MTG, but they do a good job of highlighting other content creators who might be newer under the radar. It's kind of like a day of community spotlights. And I just want to thank Blake for actually doing that because I've been bothering him a couple weeks and I didn't really think he'd do it. And like I said, this isn't for my own benefit. It's I really I really enjoy doing this to get people, you know, recognized and noticed. And if other people somehow find one of the content creators I have on my list and they really like them, you know, boom, and then it just spreads word of mouth that way because there are a lot of good content creators on my list here that I that I personally enjoy, like probably like the first 10 to 12 people on the list were just added of my own volition and the other ones I've just slowly added either because I found them from other people doing Friday MTG shout outs or from just searching on Twitter when they're promoting their own stuff and then I just add them and then we start talking and you know etc from there so like I said it's something I'm really enjoying and I hope we get more people involved with it and if you're interested in getting involved with it all you have to do is just you know, give, give your favorite MTG content creators a shout out on Friday using the hashtag Friday MTG. And if you want to be added to my list, all you got to do is just either DM me on Twitter at magic Wazubi or shoot me a, a tweet on magic at magic Wazubi on Twitter or email me at MTG at gmail.com. I'd be really looking forward to hearing from you all because I really appreciate it. And now it's time for Bob plays magic. Oh man, I can't wait to play FNM tonight. I brought this awesome Emerge deck. Me too. I'm so excited. I finally got my playset of smuggling copters. Wait, is that Bob? Yeah, he is. What is he doing behind the counter? Is he the tournament organizer for tonight? Oh 
no. Guys, Wizards is down. Thank you for calling Wizards Customer Care. How may I help you? No, oh, yes. No, uh, Wizards is down. Sir, what do you mean Wizards is down? Um, yes. The Wizards program is down, and I can't start Friday Night Magic. Sir, did you try restarting the program? Um, uh, how do I do that? Sir, just close out the program and open it again. Sir, did you just close your laptop and open it back up again? I, uh, don't know what you mean. Uh, can someone just come by and fix us? I don't think I can do that, sir. You're going to have to get someone that's more knowledgeable on the phone to help you. Listen, just patch me into the Grand Wizard. Sir, there is no one here by that name. Oh, the Grand Wizard, lady. He designed Magic the Gathering. I know him personally. Just patch me through. Sir, as I said, there is no one here by that name. And frankly, that name is offensive. Um, the Grand Wizard is gone. Who can help me? Sir, just please have someone help you who knows what a computer is. Lady, I know what a computer is. I helped invent the computer. I was the first to lay down the pipeline for the internet. Well, just the other day I was speaking with the Grand Wizard about how we used to work the railroad and lay brick down while discussing magic card design. And it was about that time that I realized that the Grand Wizard was actually a 60-foot tall crustacean. And that has been Bob playing magic. So as of this recording, a couple days ago, there was a thread on Reddit uh, talking about there was some sad news that happened in the magic community, someone by the name of Mike Davis, who was a previous vice president of R&D at Wizards of the Coast, had passed away. And if you're wondering who Mike Davis was, he was actually one of Richard Garfield's best friend, Richard Garfield being the designer of magic, who convinced Richard Garfield to go to Wizards of the Coast and originally try to sell his game Robo Rally to Wizards of the Coast. Uh, when he was there, uh, the CEO of Wizards of the Coast instead was interested in wanting to create a card game in between role-playing sessions, and that <clears throat> that gave Richard Garfield the idea of creating magic. So I just sort of wanted to talk a little bit about Mike Davis and what he did for Magic the Gathering, because if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't have this card game, and I certainly wouldn't have this podcast. So that makes me want to ask you all, is there someone in your life that has pushed you in some way to better yourself or if they pushed you in a way or convinced you to do something you know if you wouldn't have gone to college or done the job that you're at or something like that you know what i mean um i'd love to hear all your thoughts you can send them to mtgzubi at gmail.com or write to me on twitter because it's like I said, uh, this story just really reminded me of, you know, someone in that I can just think. And I know I've mentioned this before, but Corey Maples, uh, you know, giving me the idea to do the podcast. And then there's been other people in my life that I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for them to push me to be a better person. And like I said, I just thought it'd be something to bring up. And who is that person for you? that has pushed you to become a better person, whether it be magic related or outside of magic. Um, you know, so yeah, uh, it's really sad to say, and I give well wishes to Mike Davis's family and it, it is sad. Uh, he died of cancer and lost the battle with it. 
And like I said, if if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have the game we have now. I mean, it wouldn't even exist. I mean, maybe it would exist, but completely different. I don't know. It's really hard to say. But like I said, if it wasn't for him pushing Richard Garfield to go to Wizards of the Coast, we'd sadly be without Magic the Gathering as we know it. So Sam Stoddard has released an article the other day about an update on Standard. And just to start off with, I have not played Standard in weeks, um, maybe months by now. Uh, yeah, I think it's been maybe a month or two. It, mainly because my local meta has devolved into pretty much probably what everybody else's meta is. Copycat and Mardu vehicles and Black Green is starting to slowly die. Or it's some sort of energy variant and it's boring. I mean, this has got to be one of the most boring standards I can think of. And I've been playing standard since Innistrad Return to Ravnica. Um, I started in Gate Crash, actually. And um, I had a lot of fun during that standard, at least. And throughout pretty much all of standard at, the, at that time. And even during the mono blue, mono black of Theros and Return to Ravnica with Packrad and mono blue devotion. I mean... But now it's just, I don't, I don't know. It's really hard to pinpoint what makes it boring because even mirror matches can be very skill intensive, but they can be mentally and exhaustingly draining. Um, I mean, anyone who's done a mirror match of four color copycat or copycat versus Mardu knows what I'm talking about. It's, it's boring and it's draining. And it's very skill intensive. Yes, even watching it can sometimes be very interesting. But watching the same kind of match over and over and over again does not make it fun. So one of the things in the article that really stood out to me, and they even sort of mentioned this, was the lack of core sets. We have not had a core set since Magic 2015. You can say Magic Origins was a core set, and it was, but it wasn't. Because that was really trying to be like the blocks that have been lately is trying telling story. And core sets have always been all about reprints and maybe throw in a new card here and there. But usually it's about reprints and it puts in the answers that Standard desperately needs most of the time. And with we're really starting to see the lack of a core set is damaging to Standard. And it's becoming very apparent that that's the case. Now, what can be done if they want to bring back a core set? Then why not just do, you know, the deck builders toolkit is just put in a bunch of decent answers for standard in there and boom, be done with it. Another thing mentioned in the article was they were pushing individual themes too hard per block. And that's very apparent. Uh, Kaladesh with energy and vehicles was pushed to the brink. And with no real good answers to either of them, you know, it's it becomes apparent that you're just sort of having a, a game of luck at that point. Um, and, and it's really, really telling when you look at the Future Future League deck list that they have that they just never get the meta right. It doesn't even come close to what we've been seeing in the meta right now. I mean, pretty much right now, there's only two tier one decks. And then we have, yeah, there are, it is varied below tier one. But when you go to a PPTQ or IQ or anything like that, it's going to be all the tier one decks with maybe a rogue deck that tries to answer one of those tier one decks. 
And it's it's just kind of sad. And I'm hoping Amonkhet shakes things up. I mean, I okay. I know Amonkhet's going to shake things up, obviously. We're going to be getting over 200-plus cars that have the potential of shaking a lot of things up. Uh, but how much is it going to shake it up? I mean, are we going to be seeing some more... I mean, of course, there's going to be new decks coming out, but is it going to just end up being the same thing where, oh, like two to three decks are the best and that's it, and there's no good answers for any of them? You know, it's it's frustrating, and it's making me want to play standard less and less. It's making me want to invest in standard less and less. I've been, hell, I've been working on my cube for the past couple weeks. I'm almost done with my cube, by the way. Uh, Mark from Life Being Is It 20 will be happy to hear that. I'm 16 cards away, which I'm going to be ordering next time I get paid. And, you know, I've been playing some modern, but even modern I'm getting kind of eh. Because my Grixis Delver deck is so far out of the meta now. it's It feels like it's almost impossible to even keep up. I mean, I've been thinking about changing it to Grixis Death Shadow, but... Even that, I'm not even that excited about that. And Legacy, it, Legacy's still good. I mean, I'm still doing Legacy Elves, and I don't really have plans to build another deck because I just don't want to spend all that money for an investment on it. I've been more interested in playing Cube and Popper more than anything. I've been playing a lot more Popper on Magic Online and planning on buying some more complete common sets of of some sets. And, um, yeah. I mean, something's got to be done with Standard. It's obviously not in a good place. I mean, when I talk to my local shops around here, there's they're they're canceling Standard FNMs and instead doing Draft instead. Or help the shop down the street for me. They did Legacy at Friday night uh, the past two weeks now because no one wants to do Standard at all. And I wish I could have gone, but you know, I have this thing called work and life and responsibilities it's kind of ridiculous actually but you know i just want to talk a little bit about that and some of my thoughts on it you know what are your thoughts on standard you know i'd love to hear from you all on what you think about standard lately you know you can send me an email at mtgzubi at gmail.com or hit me up on twitter at magic with Zuby or facebook too i keep forgetting i have a facebook so yeah um well, like i said what are your thoughts all right, folks, it's time for... Newbie Zuby! Welcome to an all-new Newbie Zuby segment, where Zuby teaches you something about Magic the Gathering. And here he is, without further ado, your Magic the Gathering teacher, Zuby! Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Newbie Zuby. Today, we are going to be discussing the Magic the Gathering mechanic, Prowess. It is a static ability introduced in Kanza Tarkir and was used by the Jeskai clan. The prowess ability states whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Prowess can sometimes be accompanied by other effects. This is evident in the Seeker of the Way card where the creature gets lifelink along with prowess. Any spell you cast that doesn't have the type creature will cause prowess to trigger. If a spell has multiple types and one of those types is creatures, such as an artifact creature, casting it won't cause prowess to trigger. Playing a land also won't cause prowess to trigger as well. Prowess triggers only once for any spell, even if that spell has multiple targets, such as Cryptic Command. 
prowess goes on the stack on top of the spell that caused it to trigger. It will resolve before that spell. Once it triggers, prowess isn't connected to the spell that caused it to trigger. If that spell is countered, prowess will still resolve. Let's take a look at some example cards that have prowess. The first one on the list is Abbot of Carol Keep, which costs one generic and one red. It is a creature human monk rare from Magic Origins. It does have prowess, and when it enters the battlefield, exile the top card of your library until end of turn, you may play that card. It is a 2-1. The next one is Monastery Mentor. It is two generic and one white. It is another human monk. It has prowess, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 white monk creature token with prowess onto the battlefield. It is a 2-2. Speak little, do much. The next one is Monastery Swiss Spear, which is one red. It is a creature human monk. It is has haste, prowess, and it is one two. The calligraphy of combat is written with strokes of sudden blood. The next one is one card that I mentioned earlier, Seeker of the Way, which is one in a white. It is a human warrior creature. It has prowess. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, Seeker of the Way gains lifelink until end of turn. It is a 2-2. Last and certainly not least is Storm Chaser Mage, which is one blue and one red. It is a human wizard creature. It has flying and haste, prowess. Royal Mage's tactics are as chaotic as the energies they channel. So that is all for the mechanic prowess, and I really hope you enjoyed this segment, as well as I did making it. That is all the time we have for today's Newbie Zooby, so I hope you enjoyed it. So let's talk about the fun of Commander and EDH. Uh, right away, I can already hear some groans of people who are not exactly into the format, you know, saying, oh, it's not fun. It's just all a bunch of whining with four people in a pod. Yeah, and that can happen. I understand. Uh, one of the things that I really like about Commander EDH is that it's sort of like Magic the Gathering sandbox. You know, you take a hundred deck for, or a hundred card format. Uh, 99 if you just if you don't include the commander and just sort of build almost anything you want I mean there are there is meta that you can follow um, there's a there's a lot of good websites out there that can basically give you a list to help you build a deck but one of the things that I've always enjoyed about commander is it's sort of your personality in a deck you know how do you want to build this deck? You know, are you more of a controlling person or aggro or you want to give everybody a lot of presence via group hug and then just hug them so tight they just suffocate and they can't breathe anymore. <laughs> um, it really tests your deck building creativity and that's one of the things I like about it. Uh, I mean, I have heard people, you know, bringing new new players into the format i mean which is fine if the new player can handle it and you know is keeping up rather well with it you know hey more power to you and um it's just yeah i mean i, I wouldn't necessarily bring it in for a new new player but uh, to each their own but it's a it's one of the thing it's one of the formats that to me i just take super casually i normally don't care 
uh, if people are going to combo off or do some shenanigans. I think a lot of it has to do with the personalities of the people you're playing with. I mean, if everybody is a, you know, really laid back and, you know, is just having fun and laughing and joking, that's cool. But then you have the people, we all know them, that like to take it super seriously and, you know, they want to win at any cost. They'll rules lawyer you and just make it completely not fun at all. And we've all been or we've all been up against those types of people, not just in Commander, but even just in, you know, F&M magic, which is, well, as we all know, it's not fun. And, but just try not to let that deter you from enjoying Commander, I guess. Because, like I said, it can just be some really wacky stuff out there. And that's what makes it fun. You know, so what do you look for in a Commander group? when you're, you know, going to a new shop or or your shop is trying to start up a commander league or something like that. What sort of house rules do you typically typically come up with? Do you have no land destruction, um, no infinite combos, you know, no turn three wins or turn two wins, anything like that? Do you have any kind of decks or cards that are banned? You know, I'd like to hear from you all on what you what your thoughts are on that matter. Personally what I look for in a commander group is a bunch of laid back people that, you know, I, I don't care if they're trying to win, but, you know, don't be mean about it because it gets annoying or they try to rules lawyer you with certain crap because that's just dumb. I mean, th there's there's nothing on the line here. It's all just casual fun. I mean, you're not playing for major prizes or anything like that. I mean, come on. It's it's a game. I mean, it'd be totally different if there's like, you know, a thousand, two thousand bucks on the line. Yeah. And then, of course, do whatever you can do to win, obviously. Uh, any kind of house rules that I typically come up with. Um, what we do at our shop is we have no land destruction, which I get it. You know, you, you don't want feel bads. I personally don't care about land destructions. Like, oh, cool. You destroyed the lands. Awesome. Um, you know, infinite combos, it's, I don't mind infinite combos, honestly, it's probably because I've got, I've got a few decks that have infinite combos, but I mean, if you're doing an infinite combo and you can do it in like turn two or three and you do it, be like, okay, cool. But if you're going to keep playing that deck and keep doing that turn two or three combo, that's when it gets old where it's just sort of like, okay, you know you're going to keep winning, obviously, you know, if we don't have decks that can stop it or you're just going to be targeted. Hey, it's just sort of like, okay, cool. You showed us you can do it. Awesome. Wow. Amazing. And, um, what else do we have? Yeah. And, oh, um, the shop doesn't like when you take at, you know, infinite turns too, which I guess would be considered an infinite combo. I mean, you can take extra turns or whatever, but, you know, if it's like, oh, you're going to take 10, 11 extra turns, you're just going to be playing by yourself. Okay, cool. Uh, we're done here because <laughs> I don't want to watch and sit and watch you goldfish, you know, for 10 turns. That's not fun. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else here. Any cards or type of decks banned, uh, like I mentioned, just sort of the kind of house rules, no infinite combos, no land removal type of stuff. And yeah. So like I said, what are some of the things you guys look for in a commander group? What sort of house rules do you come up with or any kind of cards or types of deck ban that aren't a part of the official 
EDH man list. Uh, as I've mentioned before throughout the show, you can email me at mtgzuby at gmail.com or you know, hit me up at Twitter at MagicWithZuby. EDH is a game where you and your friends take part in a battle of political intrigue, casting powerful spells and creatures. Your commander is a reflection of who you are and how the game will be played. I like to imagine that whenever we go onto the battlefield in a game of EDH, our commanders are the ones in charge, and we, the Planeswalkers, are merely following orders. Let's dive in tonight to one of my favorite commanders in EDH, Nin the Pain Artist. When you sit down to a game of Commander, some people may groan when you put out Nin the Pain Artist in the command zone. Why is that? What is it about this commander that can cause so much grief? Today, let's dive a little bit deeper into Nin the Pain Artist. Not much is known about Nin the Pain Artist. What we do know is said in this little excerpt given to us by Wizard. Despite her famed career, Nin does not see herself as a torturer. Nin seeks to awaken a deeper consciousness within her clients by exploring their personal limits. She believes every nerve ending is a pathway to self-knowledge. And the flavor text reads, Your body is a delicate instrument that tells me truths. These devices help me tune that instrument. Nin is a tinkerer. Nin is interested in learning how things work, and by torturing her clients, she is gaining more and more knowledge into their psyche. As a magic player, your deck is your book of spells, your knowledge, so to speak. If we look at the way we build our commander decks to suit our commander, we can suggest that our book of spells is Nin's book of spells. Let's dive deeper into the mind of Nin the Pain Artist and look at how I've built her book of spells in order to help her gain that self-knowledge she so desperately craves. One of the main themes I came up with for my Nin the Pain Artist deck is there's a very strong wizard tribal theme. And before we dive deeper into that, what is a wizard exactly? According to the dictionary, a wizard is a person who practices magic, magician or sorcerer, a conjurer or juggler, a person of amazing skill or accomplishment. In popular video games and even high fantasy novels, wizards are often depicted as very highly intelligent beings dedicated to the world of magic, poring over pages and pages of spellbook so when the time comes they can cast them. In the popular series Dragonlance, the wizard Raceland explains clearly that all wizards and mages must study their spells each day because as soon as they cast them, they forget instantly those spells and the casting of magic burdens your mind so heavily, you must rest soon after casting. Wizards in this realm of fantasy are constantly studying and it becomes an obsession, something that takes over their very being. This book of spells I'm about to relay to you are Nin's magic. Her spells that she carefully crafts and weaves in order to dominate another. Let's start off with the creatures here. Uh, first on the list is a Rachiomancer, which helps me return target instant or sorcery card from my graveyard to my hand. Next is a Zombie Lady of Scrolls, which is a very important combo piece because a Zombie Lady of Scrolls allows you to tap and untap wizardy control to draw a card. Chief Engineer allows artifact spells you cast to have Convoke, which Convoke is your creatures can help cast those spells. Each creature you tap while casting an artifact spell pays for one or one mana of that creature's color. Clever Impersonator is next, which allows me to copy any target non-land permanent on the battlefield. can be very useful if there's a problem, not a spell, but a permanent. Dualcaster Mage to allow me to copy a target instant or sorcery spell and choose new targets for it. Uh, Felden of the Third Path allows me to put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of target creature card in my graveyard, except it's an artifact. In addition to its other types, it gains haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Next on the list is Frost Titan, 
which whenever Frost Titan becomes a target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays too. And whenever Frost Titan enters the battlefield or attacks, tap target permanent. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Goblin Electromancer allows for instant and sorcery spells I cast to cost one less to cast. Uh, is it Cronarch is on there as well to allow me to return target instant or sorcery card from my graveyard to my hand. Jory and Ruin Diver, which is a merfolk wizard, is whenever you cast your second spell each turn, draw a card. You're probably noticing a little bit of a theme here with the wizards where it allows me to draw more cards. Um, as I get further on, you'll see what I mean. Laboratory Maniac, this should give a really big hint into the win condition for this deck. Laboratory Maniac says, if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game instead. Melek is it Paragon allows me to play with the top card of my library revealed. I may cast a top card of my library if it's an instant or sorcery. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your library, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. Mnemonic Wall once again allows me to return target instant or sorcery card from my graveyard to my hand. You know, there's a little sub theme there going on. Mirror Battle Sphere, when it enters the battlefield, create four colorless 1 1 mirror artifact creature tokens. Whenever Mirror Battle Sphere attacks, you may tap X, untap Mirror con you control. If you do, Mirror Battle Sphere ga gains plus X plus O until end of turn and deals X damage to defending player. It's probably one of my better artifacts that I have on the field there. Uh, Nin the Pain Artist, the commander reads, you pay X and a blue and a red. You tap it, Nin the Pain Artist deals X damage to target creature. That creature's controller draws X cards. Niv Mezit the Firemind. This was originally going to be my commander until I discovered Nin. And it reads Whenever you draw a card, Niv Mezit the Firemind deals one damage to target creature or player. You tap it to draw a card. Next on our list is Nivix Guild Mage. Nivix Guild Mage reads You pay one red and a blue, draw a card, then discard a card, a looter. That, or you can pay two blue and a red. And copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for that ability. Pia, Kier, and Nalar, when they enter the battlefield, put two 1-1 one, one Thopter artifact creature tokens with flying onto the battlefield. You can sacrifice an artifact for two and a red. And this creature deals two damage to target creature or player. Profaner of the Dead has been a relatively new addition at, because it has exploit, which when this creature enters the battlefield, we may sack a creature. When Profaner that it exploits a creature, return to their owner's hands all creatures your opponents control with toughness less than the exploited creature's toughness. A pretty good board wipe, especially if things start getting hairy. A Psychosis Crawler, where its power and toughness are equal to the number of cards in your hand, which when you're if you're drawing a lot of cards, this is perfect. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this card's name, but it's the Sad Robot, where when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card. Put that card on the battlefield tap, and then shelf your library. Solemn Simulacrum. Simulacrum, I guess? I don't fucking know. Uh, when it dies, you may draw a card. Stuffy Doll. A very good card, as you can see. Stuffy Doll and In the Pain Artist. That's a neat little combo there. Uh, Stuffy Doll, when it enters the battlefield, choose a player. Stuffy Doll's Instructable. Uh, whenever Stuffy Doll is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to the chosen player. You can tap Stuffy Doll to deal one damage to itself. Willbreaker is another good card. Whenever a creature an opponent controls, 
Whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes the target of a spell or ability you control, gain control of that creature for as long as you control Willbreaker. So you have Willbreaker out and then the Pain Artist, boom, you target in the Pain Artist to do one damage to a creature and it's yours now. A worm Coil Engine, everybody's favorite engine of worms. Uh, when it dies, you put a 3-3 colorless worm artifact creature token death touch and another 3-3 with lifelink and... Worm Coil itself is a 6-6 with Death Touch and Lifelink. So that is all for the creatures there. Uh, the instance, I'll just go over real quick. Blue Sun Zenith for drawing cards. Brainstorm for drawing cards. Cancel for canceling stuff. Uh, counterspell. Uh, Chaos Warp for making a target permanent just get the hell out of the battlefield. Counterspell for countering stuff. Cyclonic Rift for wiping the board. And with all those cards that I have, all those creatures that you know, return cards to your hand, boom, Cyclonic Rift is perfect. And he's it. oh, okay, I wiped the board, it's in the graveyard. Okay, I'm going to return it back to my hand now. Disdainful Stroke for disdainfully countering stuff. Dismiss for dismissing stuff, which is also a draw card, too. I, uh, that's what I love about this card. Dissolve for dissolving a target spell, and then you scry one. Exclude for, which is this, pretty much the same as dismiss, you counter target creature spell, though and draw a card mystical tutor for mystically mysticallying uh mysticallying i don't that's not even a word is it i don't even know uh just searching for cyclonic rift pretty much uh polymorphous just this card has saved my butt more than once where it's just each creature uh target player controls becomes a one one blue frog and loses all abilities that yeah, that's definitely saved my butt uh, Blasphemous Act, which is a really good board wipe, deals 13 damage to, to each creature, including your own. Enter the Infinite. Hmm. I wonder what that combos off with. Not Laboratory Maniac, for sure. Enter the Infinite basically allows you to draw your library, your entire library. And then Fabricate. If Tinker was legal in EDH, I would not have Fabricate in this deck, probably. Fabricate just allows me to search my library for an artifact card, reveal it, and put it into my hand. Uh, part the Water Veil is just a take an extra turn card. Ponder, draw cards. Preordain, draw cards. Rite of Replication. Eh, this one, I've never been a big fan of it, honestly. It's definitely helped in very small occasions, but when I draw it, eh, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I mean, usually I'd want to target something on you know the enemy's battlefield or i can target a non-legendary uh, wizard that way if i have a zombie out you know i have a hey, five extra ways to draw cards temporal trespass you know another extra turn card whelming wave which is a pretty good board wipe uh artifacts though artifacts we have commander sphere which is a mana rock dark seal ingot mana rock Ch everflowing chalice mana rock Jalum Tomb lets me draw a card. Manolith, Mana Rock. Mox Opal, Mana Rock. Neverrolls Disc. Board Wipe. Soul Ring, which is Soul Ring, which is Mana Rock. Staff and Inn, there for flavor and for allowing me to draw a card. Uh, Swift Foot Boots. Swift, Swift Foot Boots. I don't know why it just sounded like Canadian or something. Swift Foot Boots. There we go. Uh, Hexproof and Haste. Temple Bell, which, you know, I should probably put Lightning Greaves, too. You know, that's one thing I've never really understood. Lightning Greaves versus Swift Foot Boots. 
Lightning Greaves is only one though, right? Hold on, let me look that up. Damn it, hold on. Where's Lightning Greaves? Where are you? Lightning Greaves, motherfucker. Oh, it costs zero to equip, where Swiftfoot boots cost one. Oh, yeah, that's the only difference. Uh, I mean, Lightning Greaves is technically better. Yeah, so that I, that was I would I should switch that out for Lightning Greaves because I do have a bunch now, not since I bought them Commander 2015 and 16. But whatever, Temple Bell for everybody drawing a card, Thousand Year Elixir for activated abilities, having haste, which is very useful in this deck. Uh, future Sight, I mean, assume, no, not Future Sight, um, Lazuda, it's an enchantment now, I've only got three enchantments, uh, one of them is Mind Over Matter, which basically allows me to win the game as soon as it hits the board, if it, if that hits the board and I have at least, what is it, one wizard, then I pretty much win, as long as I can, um, as long as I have a decent amount of cards, it, as soon as I play it, I, I can pretty much win. Even if, yeah, no, I can still win with that pretty much. Uh, Thopter Spy Network. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control an artifact, put a 1-1 colorless Thopter creature token with flying onto the battlefield. And whenever an artifact creature deals combat damage, you draw a card. Yeah, not bad. You know, keeps allowing me to poop out tokens. Doretti Scrap Servant for our three, one of three Planeswalkers that we have. Basically allows me to, you know, get an artifact back from my graveyard. Ralzarek, which has always been iffy for me. It's um it really depends on what I have out on the field for his plus one ability for tapping target permanent, then untap another target permanent. It like it's really it really depends on the board state. And then plus if I get to old him, you know, taking extra turns, that's perfect. Uh Tezzeret the Seeker for finding artifacts that I want, pretty much. And then the rest are land. So that is my Nin the Pain Artist deck in a nutshell. And um, yeah, like I said, it's a really fun deck. It's very controlling and it's very slow. And a lot of the win cons are mainly done by drawing cards and trying to quote unquote combo off in a sense. And I enjoy playing it from time, time to time. Um, usually I've is if I don't play my commander early and I'm just sort of sitting back and just countering stuff every once in a while, people sort of tend to leave me alone. And then it's like I get enough mana and then I manage to pull mind over matter out. And if I play that, people are like, okay, it's fine. I'm like, all right, we'll just let you know I have a combo that I can win right now. And they'll want me to do it. And then you just sort of like sigh and be sad. And I mean, I if... When I do go and play Commander, if I'm doing like an all-day type thing, I'll only probably play this deck once. Um, I've had a few other decks that I've been really enjoying playing lately, which surprisingly, I mean, I know everybody plays this deck, and I'll I'll do a deck tech of it later on. I just really wanted to talk about Nin, because Nin was my second EDH deck that I ever built, because my first one being Crufix. Crufix, I love that deck. Love it. Uh, yeah, Nin was my second. Then Aloro was my third. Omnath is actually my latest one, and that's the one I've been really enjoying playing. And I know it's there's only really 
one kind of way to build build Omnath, and that's a lot of ramp and just blowing stuff up and getting you know tread the ancients and impact tremors and all that stuff. And it's I get it. It it can be boring, but it's fun to me. I love ramping up. If there's always sort of a theme with my decks, especially you know Nin is more of a draw engine. Oloro is a pillow fort. And anything that has green, it's more of a ramp engine. And I just like playing big, stupid stuff because it brings out the Timmy in me. So that is my Nin the Pain Artist deck tech. I hope you all enjoyed that. If you have any questions about it or you want to see the list, uh, I guess I can put the list in the show notes. So yeah, it'll be in the show notes if you want to see it. And there you go. That is Nin the Pain Artist. And I hope you all enjoyed that. Thank you. So by the time this podcast comes out, I'm sure you all, if you're especially deeply invested in magic, have heard all about the Amonkhet Invocations, which are the Amonkhet Masterpieces, which are the Amonkhet Expeditions. And at first glance, I will admit, when I first saw them, I hated the border. I'm still not a fan of the border of the cards. While I am starting to get used to it, I'm still not a fan of it. Basically, they're... Since Amenket is sort of like their ancient Egyptian uh, set, and it's all based around in basically an Egyptian plane, uh, these in- invocations or invocations, however you want to say it, I don't even know. Um, basically, the cards sort of like look like they'd be paintings you'd find in a pyramid or something, or or an ancient place or an ancient tablet, something like that, and. Like I said, the border was the biggest detractor, and what is really deterring me about this is it sort of the border overtakes the art. And <clears throat> I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people on Twitter and on Reddit and just on other magic forums, you know, basically talking. And there's been some really good comments that I've seen too from actual graphic designers that the all this art is really taking away from the art the the borders really taking away from what we should be looking at and it makes a lot of sense when you read these um the other biggest thing i cannot stand and it honestly and i'm being honest this honestly hurts my head while i'm trying to read these and that is the names of the cards and the subtypes of the cards you know creature bird wizard or or sorcery instant etc they did it in a way to where they're trying to make it like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics and it's not good. It's not good at all. A lot of them are really hard to read. Um, you cannot tell right away what they are. I mean, at least the text of the actual card, what it does is legible. So you can sort of discern from that, like, okay, so, um, a good one containment priest. Oh, okay. So it's a non-token creature would enter the battlefield. It was, if it was, and it wasn't cast exile it instead. So when I'm looking at the name of containment priest, it's, it's really hard to read. And it, like I said, it's just not good. Um, the, the, one of the biggest ones that was extremely hard to read. I had to, I had to look up the card's text to even know what it is. Cause I didn't recognize it right away. Cause I don't, I don't really play this type of card that much. And that was attrition. Um, Looking at it, the first thing, first, it hurts my head just looking at the text. And 
at first I thought it said attraction and I'm like, I've never heard that card. What does it do? And dark ritual is another one. It looks like bark ritual. Um, the D looks like a B and I, I get it what they were trying to go for. They were trying to go for that ancient Egyptian tablet look. And while I can get used to the border, it's a nice experiment in design. It's still, I don't like these. And while, while this is only one man's opinion here, it's, I've heard a lot of things that the, I've heard from a lot of people that the biggest detractor is the text, the font. Why use this kind of font? Um, I, I've seen the one video from, I think, Trick Jared on Twitter showcasing what it looks like when you're holding one. It's like, yeah, they look nice. I mean, it, it's cool. The, I, I honestly have to say, I mean, some of the cards that they are reprinting for these invocations are pretty cool, like Force of Will, Pack of Negation, um, Cryptic Command, Consecrated Sphinx. You notice I named all the blue cards because <laughs> they're the only ones I'm actually excited about. But honestly, I I have to be honest with myself. I would not be very excited to pull one of these, actually. And I don't think it has to really do with the card name. It has to do with the way it looks. It just, I don't like it. And as I said before, I can get used to the border. Okay, granted, I can get used to that. I think... Another big thing that I've seen a lot of people saying is when you look at the border around the art and I'm making a circle or like a triangle or not a triangle, but a square as if you can see me right now. But if you look at the border around the art, if you take away those like pillars, the art will be showcased more because I feel like the biggest detractor, as I mentioned earlier, is the art is not the main focal point of these pieces. When you first see them, it's like the borders are just boom you know, really out there. And that's, I mean, it almost feels like he's doing disservice to the artist here because that when I first saw Avon Mind Sensor was the first one I saw and I didn't even notice the artifacts. I noticed what the fuck is going on around this, this card, you know, the borders like, what is this? You know? And I don't know, guys, it's, I'm actually really kind of disappointed. And, you know, there, there would be people like, oh, well, you're disappointed about pulling, you know, a $50 bill. You know, it's like, great. If I pull one of these, awesome. I'm going to sell it right away because I have no interest in collecting these. Um, normally, I'm not really interested. Heck, every expedition I pulled and the one masterpiece I pulled from Kaladesh, I sold immediately. Hell, the scalding tarn I pulled from Battle for Zendikar helped me pay for my house. <laughs> I mean, well, help me pay for the down payment at least. So, and like I said, I'm not a big fan of these fifth mythic rarity or fifth rarity slot that ma or magic is doing or wizards is doing. I mean, because it's while they're cool, great, but it's basically a lottery card. And that that is the one thing I do like with these. If I pull one, I'm going to sell it immediately and make like quick 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks or if I pull a really good one, okay, awesome. I, I just made a hundred bucks on it and stuff. But yeah, that was just one thing I really want, wanted to bring up because holy crap, it's bad. It's just bad. That's all I have to say. It's, I love the art of these. Don't get me wrong. That That is the one thing I really do like is the art. The border, I can get used to. The text of the cards, 
where it shows the name and then the type of card it is, inexcusable. Simply inexcusable. If a new player is going to pull one of these, they're going to look at it and be like, I don't even, I can barely read this. And for someone like me, I don't know if it's because I'm sensitive to certain text or something, but when I'm trying to read these, I honestly get a headache trying to discern what they're saying. And that's not good. So, well, those have been my thoughts on the Amonkhet invocations. And if you agree or disagree, you know, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at mtgzubi at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at MagicWazubi or Facebook at facebook.com slash MagicWazubi. Zubi out. So I all hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. And I just want to thank you all for listening. And if you have any questions or complaints or compliments, you can send them my way at mtgzubi at gmail.com or send them to me on Twitter at magicwazubi or Facebook at facebook.com slash magicwazubi. Uh, you can find the Magic Wazubi podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, uh, we're on mtgcast.com as well as Podcast Radio Network every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And where else can you find Magic Azubi? Um, I think that's it. Oh, yeah, YouTube. I I am so bad at YouTube. You know, I would love to have my YouTube channel be big and awesome and all that, but I'm so bad at YouTube. I really am. It's I try hard to keep up with it, but with just as much as I do with the podcast and making sure that's all up to date, the YouTube, ugh, I slack on it. I know. Um, there's also the magic Azubi website, magic Um, Oh, there's also a Patreon, patreon.com slash magic Uh, feel free to, you know, take a look at that and look at the tiers of rewards. You know, you can start off with just $1 and I give you a shout out on, on the, on the air. And $5 or more, you get to choose a topic that I discuss on Magic Wazubi, as well as there's a lot of other rewards, too. So you can be sure to check that out. And, you know, and anything that is going towards anything I get in the Patreon goes towards the show as well. You know, I'm trying to save up now for some better audio equipment and I want to start doing some live remote podcast where I go to like a GP or an open or something and maybe try to, re you know, get some small interviews with some of the players too that are out there. But, you know, I, I need some funds for that. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to save, I'm working on it, working on it. So yeah, thank you all for listening and have a great night. Mm -hmm.